Amen. Glad to be here at church. Well, it's too, too bad if you're not because you're here and we locked the doors. So anyway, well, welcome to Cornerstone. My name is Sean Afkin. If you're visiting with us, I'm the lead pastor here. I've been gone for two weeks. I was in Florida mooching off a of family. Amen. It's good to have family near the beach. Amen. Some of you don't like the beach, apparently. But anyway, God's so good. Listen, next, um, next Saturday, uh, excuse me, next Sunday, we have Island Breeze here all the way from Hawaii. And uh, they actually just got back from uh, South Korea. And they're, um, they actually have one of the number one rated, um, what's that called, luau's in, uh, in Hawaii. And they're going to become ministering to us. They do an excellent, they redeem culture, and they'll, they'll do some dances. I'm hoping they'll do the fire knife dance, and I'm trying to get Pastor Tom to do it with them. And I don't think he, it might not be safe, but we, we have insurance on them. Anyway, um, so, but uh, you don't want to miss that. Invite some of your neighbors, invite some of your friends. It is Father's Day, so definitely invite dads, and dads come. It's going to be a great time, and they're going to minister to us next week. Also, this week, va- Vacation Bible School begins tomorrow, amen? Come on. Um, it's not too late to uh, get your uh, kids and be involved, and uh, you can be involved also. And uh, so I want to encourage you to do that. And just, uh, you know, it's just one of, the, one of the greatest outreaches that we do. And it's just an amazing event that goes on here. And so I want to encourage you. And if you don't even have any kids, and you, you're not, I, I encourage you just to stop by and just look at it and watch it. I mean, we use this whole building and outside and everything. There's a lot of kids, two, a couple hundred some kids. And you don't have to stay forever. If you don't like kids, please don't come anyway. But, um, uh, but it's a, it is a fun time. So invite your neighbors and friends and get them here uh, for this day. Amen? God's so good. We start a new series. This is actually going to be most of our summer that we're going to be on the series on the book of 1 Corinthians. So you can turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 1. There's some notes you can follow along with us. Now, I'm going to be, uh, it's a really an overview. I'm not going to do verse by verse throughout the whole uh, book of Corinthians, but I, I will do some of that like today and the next week that we are together and we talk about this. And But there's sometimes I'll pull out uh, certain aspects, certain um, things that are going on in the Corinthian church and Paul deals with them. We'll deal with that and then uh, we'll go in and out. So it's going to be a little crazy, but it's going to be a lot of fun and give you a good overview of the book of uh, Corinthians and why it's been, um, why Paul had to write that. And so, um, so follow along today. If you're in First Corinthians. Go ahead and put your finger there, but turn to First Thessalonians one one. Also, we'll actually begin there just for a moment here. But before we start, I want to give you a background of the city and of the church here, so you kind of understand why Paul had to write this letter to correct some things. It is a very much a controversial letter, and it's a correction letter. And so uh, Corinth is a city that's situated in the Isthmus of Greece. So it's, it's about 40-some miles away from Athens, just right north of the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, Corinth of Paul's day, when he's writing this uh, uh, letter to the Corinthian church that he started, is fairly a new city. Because in 146 B.C., it was burned completely and torn down by the Roman Empire. But in 46 B.C., uh, Julius Caesar comes along and he rebuilds it. And he renames it, and he names it Julia Corinthius. And he, he puts all these veterans of the army and freed men into this uh, city. And so as Paul's date, it's, it's about 400,000 people or so. 
And, uh, and it's a prominent city again. It was very prominent before it was burned. Now it's, it, again, is a very prominent um, and industrial and commerce type of city. Um, and, but it has a lot of vices. It has a lot of problems. Um, it's uh, an example. There, there was a temple there, the Temple of Venus. And it's worship the goddess Aphrodite's. And Aphrodite's is the goddess really of sex. And so in this temple, they had a thousand um, priests and priestesses who basically were prostitutes. And it was normal for people in the city to come up to the, the, the hill there, almost like a mountain, and come up there and worship by having sex with these prostitutes. This is the type of a city that they live in, and it was normal, not looked down upon, in fact, encouraged. In fact, every Caesar from Julius Caesar's time went there and worshipped in that uh, temple. Not like you worship today, but anyway, it was a little different. And so here, that's what was going on. And then, and then the close proximity to Athens, which a- Athens was a very, it was a city where they loved knowledge and everything that was coming into the city. Everybody searched for knowledge and wisdom and intellectual city. And that, all of this was infiltrating into the church. Now, Paul established the church in Corinth in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18, 1 through 18. You can read it later. And he, uh, he did this on his second missionary journey. And it appears from reading this epistle that the church was affected by the immoral environment that was found in the city and also the intellectual environment that was found in the city. So pride entered into the church and brought division in the church and even disrupted in the services. Immorality and immodesty was found its way in the church, and it gave the church a bad reputation. And then the brethren were taking their problems. So people in the church were having problems, and instead of working it out together, they were going into the heathen courts and working it out. There's other issues that were affecting the church during that time. They were, there were questions about marriage. You know, there was uh, meat sacrificed to idols. It was, should we eat it or not? There's women praying and prophesying without their heads covered. We will deal with that and what that means. They were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were, they were using their spiritual gifts in a wrong way. And uh, they would have questions about the resurrection of the dead and the collection of the saints in Jerusalem. And the church was, was beset with a lot of problems and questions needed to answer. And so Paul, he hears about all this. He hears about them going on because they were having people in the church going up to the, uh, up the hill and meeting with some priests and priestesses. And they were doing that, and that was okay for them. And so there are some things he, he did. This is why he wrote the letter. He says, to correct the sinful practices and refute false doctrine. So this letter is especially written to those who live in a sex-saturated, wisdom-loving atmosphere, but trying to live as Christian in the midst of all the pressures that are constantly coming from their city or their culture. And how many would believe that this book would be good for us today? Amen? And so, I mean, we're, we're forced with it. I mean, you are forced. Instru- they're trying to force. This world is trying to force what they believe on you and I. You look at it. You turn on the TV and all of this is happening. And the main, really the main, there's two main issues that all of this was coming out of here in Corinth. And the problem is Corinth was causing this division among the, in the church and the church to lose its power and its witness. And really, the first main reason why is because the spirit of the city had come into the church. The spirit of that culture had come in here. 
See, the one thing that the church, you and I, must never do is to capture the spirit of this age. And what I mean by that, the way of thinking, the way of living, the lifestyle, the heart of this world. We should never capture the spirit of this age. And the job of the church is really to correct the spirit of the age. The job of the church is to raise the standard and be a light and saying, hey, listen, there's a better way. And we should show that not just by word, but also by how we live. And Paul was always leading people to become part of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. And so he's always leading them, telling people, you are not of this world. You you did not learn that from me. Jesus didn't teach you that. And when a church begins to reflect the spirit of, of the age in which it lives, it immediately loses its power. And that's what had happened to the church at Corinth. And we can never have that happen to us. Amen? Then the second main issue was, is that they were allowing all these divisions come in because of the philosophies of men to come into the church. They would choose certain religious leaders to believe in and not believe in. They would fight, this pastor is better than that pastor, that, that, that book is better than this book, and so on. And so they would want the insights of man better, more than they would like the insight of God. You know, we have a bookstore, and you can go into bookstores, you can go on Amazon, you can go wherever and buy a religious book, somebody's commentary of the Word of God. And this is what's happening even in today, is that people are believing more about that, per, that man's idea than God's idea. And they are following man's... Listen, it is never right to follow man's ideas. How many would agree? How many would call that stupid? But stupid is, you know, and, uh, and so that's what people do. And even today, I rather believe what a Rob Bell says than what the Word of God says. I rather believe what this author over here says than what the Word of God says. And that's happening here in this time. And, and a lot of people say, now listen, if you ever hear somebody says, I have something, I have a new doctrine for you, tell them they're foolish because there's nothing new under the sun. This was going on even then. And what happens is, is when you believe your own idea more than what the Word of God says, then there's something wrong. And false doctrine began to get in, come into this church because that's what happened. And they began to form little cliques and everything else in the body of Christ there in Corinth. And Paul talks about this thoroughly in this, in this book of 1 Corinthians. See, the church will never solve man's problem as long as it consistently pursues a writer, a book, or a man, or a speaker, thinking that if you gather all the insights and all the knowledge and all the wisdom, now, gathering wisdom, reading other books, is not wrong. But when it becomes your focus, it becomes wrong. See, God and His Word is, should be always our focus. And when you, if you think you can find out the steps to success yourself, and you think you can find wisdom in doing it this way or that way, listen, you are completely wrong. Paul says this, this will never happen. You will never, it is impossible to arrive at a solution to our needs on that level because there is something vitally missing. And what's missing, and what's missing in the Corinthian church is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in mankind. 
the missing element. And you'll never solve the riddles of life beside that because you can't separate the gospel from the power of God. You and I need the power of God. We need the power of God, not the power of understanding. We need the power of God. What did Paul say? It is not of enticing words of man's wisdom that I do these things. It is by demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That is the only salvation to man that can happen. You cannot think your way into heaven. You cannot earn your way into heaven. You cannot earn your way to get better. It is only by the grace and enabling power of God that's going to be able to do it. And that's what Paul is trying to tell them. And this is what's happening. This church is a messed up church. And we're going to find out how Paul deals with this here. Okay? So you're in 1 Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. And let me show every book, that, every letter that Paul writes, he has, a, he has an outline on how he writes his letter. You have your salutation, which you see in, 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 uh, in, in 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians. You have your writer who is writing this. You have the recipients who is written to. You have the greeting that he greets everybody. Then you have Thanksgiving. He always thanks God for something about what they're doing, usually. And then you have the body of the letter. Then you have the conclusion. You and I do the same thing, right? We say, dear so-and-so who it's written to. Hey, this is, this is Sean Apking. We don't really start out saying, man, you guys are stupid you know we work our way into it how you guys doing we smooth them over you guys are doing great in this area but you suck in this other area that's the body of the message that's what paul does and so this is a typical way that he would write this letter in the first century and first thessalonians just the typical way he would do it in verse one look at here first thessalonians verse one chapter one verse one says paul silas and timothy that's the writers to the church of Thessalonica in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the recipients of the letter. These are the Christians in Thessalonica. Uh, and that's not far off from Corinth. And these are the people he's writing to. And then we have the greeting, grace and peace to you. Now, this is a normal greeting that he does a lot of times. Uh, peace is the, is the word shalom. That's, he's, he's bringing in the Jewish people too. Shalom is what they would say coming and going. It means peace. And then uh, he uses this word uh, grace, which is a Greek word that he changed a little bit to mean grace, means favor. It was another Greek word um, that I can't pronounce right now anyway, but that they used. And he changed it a little bit to mean grace or favor. And this is what he's saying, grace and peace to you. And so he's including all the Greeks and Gentiles and uh, all the Jews into this. So this is a very typical introduction, so we don't want to read too much into this. I wanted to show you a typical, because 1 Corinthians 1, 1 and on is not typical, okay? That's a typical, so you don't want to read much into it. So you want to find, usually, when something's typical, you want to find something that's intentional. And Paul never does things by accident. He's a very smart and wise man. He's intentional about things. So go back to chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1. Let's find out we're going to go through really the first nine verses here. And so we're going to find out what is intentional. Where did Paul break from normal? So let's read verse 1. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Now we're going to talk about Sosthenes just in a second, just to let you know who he is. But why does Paul describe himself as an apostle? These people know him. They know who he is. They... They've met him before. They know he's apostle. They know his story. You know, that Jesus came, knocked him off a horse, blinded him, and all that kind of stuff. They know the story. Why does he do this? 
I personally believe the reason he does this is to start the book off establishing his authority in the church. See, when Paul usually introduces himself, he does it in four primary ways. He's, the first one he does by name. And if you read you know, Thessalonians, he did it by name. My name's Paul. Second way he does it is in Philemon. He does it prisoner of Christ Jesus. And there's other two phrases he uses, and they often are together, is servant and apostle. A lot of times when you use apostle, apostle really means sent one. But this one he's using means something of greater authority. Because he's not using just a sent one. He's saying it's using the office of the apostle. And he's basically saying, listen, this is who I am. And he wanted them to know this is the office of the apostle. It's not done by man. It's done by Jesus Christ himself put me here. Because you know, I understand, he's not getting along with this church. And the church isn't getting along with him. So he's saying, listen to me. I'm about ready to write some things, and you need to listen. Not as a friend, not as someone who, who is, is, is doing the same thing as a peer, but as someone who's anointed, who's gifted, and placed into this office by Jesus Christ himself. This is what he's saying there. Because this is a messed up church, and he's about to deal with some controversies. He's about to deal with some things. In fact, he had to write two books because he didn't get it the first time. And Paul's saying, you need to listen to me. So Paul says he's the writer, and so is Sosthenes. Now, Let's see who Sosthenes is. Sosthenes um, comes out of Acts 18. Acts 18, verse 8, talks about a guy named Sisyphus who became a believer, and he was a head of the Jewish synagogue. Now, you can't be a head of a Jewish synagogue and believe in Jesus Christ because they don't believe he's the Messiah. So they got kicked out. And then this other guy, Sosthenes, became the leader of that. And we see in verse 18 or 17 of Acts 18, is that um, the Greeks didn't like him, so they started stoning him. And so he gets out, and somehow, in, in about AD 51, he gets saved, and he's now with Paul. Now listen, you can't just hang around Paul and not get saved. So he's hanging out with Paul. And so what Paul, Paul mentions him, not because he wrote the book, but he wrote down the letter. And so Paul would use people who would, um, he would dictate the letter to. Most of the time, Paul didn't write the letter itself. He dictated to them and he wrote. That's why Sosthenes is in here. Maybe that's why in, in 1 Thessalonians, Peter, uh, Timothy was in there because he wrote it. He dictated Timothy. Now, there's four instances we see in Paul's writings that Paul would say, I'm, look at what I'm saying. I'm writing it with my own hand. And because so, he wanted to get the point across, he doesn't do that much. And that's probably why Sosthenes is in there. Sometimes we skip over it, but I want you guys to know. But verse 2, look at verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Some of your versions say holy people. That, that's what it, it is, holy people. Who all in who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, this where Paul deviates. From the norm here. He starts with the church of God. Now a lot of times we read over this. And we don't really get it. But to really understand what Paul's trying to get the Corinthians to do. And the people in Corinth. You have to understand chapter uh, verse 2. If you don't get verse 2. You won't understand all of Corinthians. Now here's what he's trying to do. He mentions a couple things here. There are two phrases he says, those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, and then those who are called to be saints, 
or holy people. So now those two words mean the same. Sanctified and saints or holy people. They mean the same thing. They both mean set apart. But what is he saying they're set apart to? So when, when he says sanctified, sanctified unto Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, when he said that, I think Paul's trying to say here is that you are set apart in your position in Christ. You have been set apart in Christ Jesus. That you are set apart. You have a position now. Because of what Jesus Christ did, you gave your life to him. Now you have a position. What is that position? A son of God. A daughter of God now. Not because you earned it. Not because you did it. But you've been set apart because you believed in him. And so I believe that's what Paul is saying. So you've been set apart in Christ. Then you are set apart as a holy people. He says you're set apart in Christ in position. And set apart as a holy people in practice. So one is position. One is practice. Peter in his book talk about this. He talks about you have a position. So start living like it. And this is what Paul is trying to tell the Corinthian church. He's trying to say, you've been set apart in your position. You have a position, but you're not practicing it. You're not living the part that you have. So to be sanctified is to be declared to be holy. So you're sanctified, you're set apart in your position, and you're declared to be holy. You're declared to be holy, but you're also called to be holy. It's two different things. So one is position, declared. You had nothing to do with your holiness. Isn't that right? Jesus did it all. You're declared holy, but also you're set apart. You're called to be holy. You're called to live that part now. So one, one's position, one's practice. So Paul's heart is to them is that practice who you are. Practice your position. Live out your position that you've always been given. So if you're in Christ, you're set apart by God. Now live like it. And this is what Christianity is all about, isn't it? That's what our vision here at Cornerstone is to become fully devoted followers of Christ. It's to continue that practice, to practice that every day. As Ephesians talks about, be imitators of God as dear children. That word imitators means just be like him, act like him. And that's what we should do. Every time you wake up, I'm going to act like God today. I'm going to be like Jesus today. And that's the whole heart. And that's what God wants us to do. And I'll come back to this a little bit later. Let's move on. Then he says in verse 2, With all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. I can get really excited about this. Let me tell you why. In every New Testament letter is what is called an occasional document. So all the New Testament letters are called Occasional documents. And this is what that means. It means it's written to a particular people for a specific reason. Okay? And so 2,000 years later, you and I, we read these documents like Romans. Or we read um, uh, 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 Ephesians or something like that. And we look at it, even though that was written to them, it's definitely God had in mind in us, definitely. But we are supposed to figure out, okay, how do we get it a part of our lives? What are we supposed to take about what the church in Ephesus was learning about? Okay? Now, this in 1 Corinthians is a little different. Paul says something here that he doesn't say in any other letter. He says that it's not just for the ones who are in Corinth, but to all who in every place 
Call on the name of Jesus. In other words, this letter is not just for people in Corinth, but to everyone in every time and every place. And this is such an important book. I believe when God gave this letter to Paul, he was thinking about you and I in 2015 in America because he knew we would be dealing with the same things today. And so it's so much. So when everybody says this, this wasn't meant for us, tell them phooey. It was definitely meant for us because some of the controversies that are going on in the Corinthian church is the same controversies that are going on here in America, and we're going to deal with them in the next few weeks. So this is such an important book for our time. Paul clearly states it's for every one of us. Every one of us. Then verse 3, he gets to the greeting. And Paul is very typical in this greeting. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. But now he comes to the part in his outline that he uses. That he has to give thanksgiving. The thanksgiving part of his letter. And this is what I want to focus on for the rest of our time. This is such a different way that Paul does in this letter than he does in any one of them. Because let me remind you, he is writing this church to rebuke them. And now, if he follows his, and he does, his thanksgiving, his outline, he has to give thanks to a church that what is he going to find that he's thankful for? Let me remind you that this church is full of infighting about controversies, and they're battling one another, and they're going, they're going, and they're saying, I'm right, and you're wrong, and all that kind of stuff, and, and who's the good pastor, and who's not the good pastor, and, and who, who is, who, I'm about Paul, I'm about Apollos, and all that kind of stuff, and, and not only that, that the church is full of immorality, there's a guy having sex with his, his stepmom, and they're all okay about it, and there's people going up to the uh, fun house up top there, and, and they're enjoying that, and they're okay with people in the church going to prostitutes, and this is the church that he has to give give thanks for they can't even do communion right and they're getting drunk they're interrupting the services and they're using their gifts out of line and and they're messed up they can't even worship right christians are fully engaged in the culture that's around them because this is the original sin city this was a serious messed up church and by his outline, he's supposed to give thanks. Paul gives thanks in all of his other, other things. In Romans, Titus, Philemon, and 2 Timothy, he, said, he says, I give thanks for your faith. In Ephesians and Colossians, he says, I give thanks for your faith and love. In, Philippine, in the uh, Philippines, <laughs> yeah, maybe then. But in, in uh, Philippians, he gives thanks for their partnership in the gospel. And in Thessalonians, Thessalonians he gives thanks for the endurance of their faith and hope and love. But what does he do here in Corinthians? Verse 4. I thank my God, always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. What does he give thanks for? God. God's grace. That's all he can give thanks for. I believe Paul does have vision for this church. And I don't believe this church is going to be wrecked and messed up completely. And as you see, you'll see there is some hope here because we see he thanks God for his grace. And there's three resources of his grace that we see evident that is moving in the Corinthian church. In verse 5, it says that you are enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. 
even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift. They had the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation. They didn't know how to use them, but they had them in operation. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of Son, Jesus Christ. So there's three things we see here. The Holy Spirit gifts were in operation, not because of who they were, but because of who he is. The grace is, is, grace is unmerited favor, unearned favor. And in unearned favor is the enablement, the power of God to accomplish stuff. And so it is given freely to the believer. Remember, they had a position. They just weren't practicing. And so they had this position, and that was already given to them. So he gives thanks for the grace of God. And, be, and they were confirmed by that because the gifts were in operation. Because of God's grace, you and I have gifts. And the other thing that grace brought was God's security. And Paul is thanking God, not because of their practice, but because of their position. In fact, when you stand before God, you're not going to look over God and say, Man, hey, I did, I did pretty good, didn't I? No, you're going to bow down to Him and slobbering and kissing on His feet and thanking Him for what He did for you. Because you are there, not because of what you did. I'm not going to be there because of what I did. I'm there because of what Jesus did. In fact, the first 10 verses all mention Jesus. Why? Because it is all about him. And so God's, uh, God gave us him because we couldn't do it. And so Paul's thanking God for the grace and that they have security because of that grace. And then we have Christ's relationship. We have a relationship with Christ. This is a mess of church that has been blessed by God and that is what proves God's amazing grace. Now, you can look down on this church, but you're, you're screwed up too. Look at your neighbor and say, yep, that's you. And God's grace is here. These are people who had a position in Christ because of what Jesus did. And they accepted it, but they weren't in practice. And Paul's heart here is to get them to change and mature. There are thoughts out there that say, since I'm a Christian, I can do anything. And a lot of times if you read Corinthians, you think that's that, that was their heart. And it wasn't their heart. It wasn't like that. Because Paul will mention evidence of the grace of God. And you see, when God's grace is in our life, it will change you and I. So that our practice will start to eventually match our position. Now, you may never get to that part fully. We may never get there. But every day, our lives should start to try to match our position. Not because of our own work, but because of God and His grace. See, there's two extremes. There's one extreme that says, and Pastor Tom mentioned part of that last week. There's two extremes. One that says, well, I have a position in Christ, so I, it doesn't matter what I do. I can do whatever I want. It won't hurt me. Or there's a position that says, yeah, you have a position and you better start acting like it. As if that you have to earn it. Both are completely wrong. And where we need to come to and we need to come into our life is to realize that, yeah, I have a position. And by grace, enablement, not because of my works, but because of who God is in me and me relying on him, I can obtain. 
I can start becoming every single day more and more like Jesus. In fact, the proof, and this is, this is what Paul's trying to get to, the proof that grace has moved in your life is that there's movement in your life. That every day you're moving closer and closer to him. That I start the journey to become like Jesus every day. So it's not about you doing it in your own strength. It's about you moving and relying on the power and the ability of God that he's already provided for you to do that. And this is what Paul's trying to get them to do. He's trying to get them to come to a place where they have a position and they live their life every day in transformation. That I will transform every single day into the image and likeness of God. Because I'm not just called to be in one place. I'm called to have a position, but to be all to change in my life, to always try to match the position that I have in Christ. And I can't do it in my own ability. I can only do it rely on His grace. And that's what we need to take away today from these verses. Is that God's grace in my life is there, so there will be movement every single day in my life. And Paul's been thanking God about His grace, but now Paul is going to pursue them to change, start moving forward. In fact, by the end of 2 Corinthians, he writes this because they're not getting it. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says this, Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? There he goes again. He says that. You have a position, unless indeed you are disqualified. He says, there should be movement. Examine yourself. Is there movement today in me? Am I becoming more like him? Is there movement? I'm not saying perfection. But are you moving towards becoming like him? Not in your striving, but in his grace. And allowing him to do that. Paul looks at the Corinthian church as in Christ before he looks at anything else that is true of the church. So we need to celebrate God's grace in us. And you celebrate God's grace in you by changing and moving forward every single day. And by getting closer to Him. Because I don't want us to be a church that's powerless. I want us to be a church that has a witness, has a light, that stands for truth. Now, we're not going to be a perfect church. We're not perfect. How many of you guys know that? Because you all are here. We're not perfect. I'm here. We're not perfect. As soon as I stepped in the door, it changed. It's not a perfect church anymore. But we can go forward and understand that. And so we celebrate the grace of God by understanding that I move forward. I take a step every day and transform. Every day I have an opportunity to transform. Not because of what I know, but because of who he is. And he enables us in his power and ability. And then I can celebrate the grace of God in others. Because when they fall, I don't point fingers. I hand them a hand and help them up. And I celebrate that with them. That, listen, you're, that is not your position. And I help them to their position. Amen? And when I fall, we all get up. And we all move forward. Amen? And that's what the whole heart of God here is. And that's what he's trying to get through all this stuff. And as he goes through and he talks about all the junk that they're in. And his whole heart is this. Start living who you really are. Amen? Every day, I need to live who I am. And what I do isn't always who I am. Who I am is what Jesus made me to be. Amen? Isn't that cool?
Aren't you glad you're not what you do (laughs) all the time? Aren't you glad of what Jesus says of you? And even though Paul could have skipped this part, because most of us would and went right into them, well, yeah, I have nothing to be thankful for here. You guys don't even like me anymore. No, he sees them by faith and sees what God is doing in them and tries to get them to capture that. So where is God working in your life? What is he tried, trying to move you into? Amen? Into your real identity. Let's find out. Let's find out this week. I want you to pray about that. How can I be moving forward? How I can be transformed? Bow your heads and close your eyes. So, Father, we just pray that right now in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're calling us to do and who you're calling us to be. Father, we don't want to be like the Corinthian church where we allow the spirit of this age to come into us that we want to be a model for you. A model of love, a model of peace, but a model of power and a model of change and transformation where lives are being changed and people becoming fully devoted followers of you. So Father, help us do that in our own lives. Where is the movement? Where is your grace moving us towards? In the name of Jesus. Show us, Lord, right now. Show each and every one of us in Jesus name hallelujah everyone's head bowed and eyes closed you're sitting there today and you feel an emptiness and you know there's a void in your life let me tell you what's happening is God's spirit his Holy Spirit is talking to you and saying won't you come and accept me Jesus died on the cross so you and I could have a relationship with God And each one of us were made with that place in our lives, in our heart, in our spirit man, that only God and His Spirit can fill. The reason you feel empty and you feel something's missing is because you need to invite God into your life. And Jesus made a way by taking the punishment for all of our sins. So He opened up a way for you and I to come in. And the only thing that you have to do to get to that position I've been talking about is by saying, God, I die to myself and I give you my life. I make you the Lord of my life. It's a choice that you make right now. And so I want to give you an opportunity right now to do this. And this is how I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to ask for you in just a moment to raise your hand if you would like to begin that process. Begin that, take that step and make the decision to follow Jesus. Make that decision to make him the Lord of your life. The Bible says if you confess Jesus as the Lord of your life, you will be saved. That means salvation means you will have a relationship with God. In fact, you will live forever with Him. Your flesh may die, but you will live forever. You'll have a relationship. You'll know what real love is because He is love. You'll know forgiveness, full forgiveness. So if that's you in here and you says, Pastor Sean, that's me, I want to do that. I want to ask you to raise your hand and you can put it down. I want to pray with you right where you're at. If that's you and says, Pastor Sean, I want to do that. Okay, you can put your hands down. Okay, you can put your hands down. Anybody else? Pastor Sean, that's me. I want that void, that emptiness, okay? That emptiness in my life to go away. Okay, you can put your hands down. Anybody else? Pastor Sean, that's me. 
I want to give my life to Christ. I may not understand everything, but I'm, I want more. There must be more to this life. One last time. Anybody else? Okay, put your hands down. Okay, thank you, Jesus. You put your hands down. Anybody else? Okay. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for everyone here that raised their hands. And this is what I want to ask you to do. And everyone in this building is going to do this too. I want you to pray this prayer. So I want you to repeat it after me. I want you to make what we call a confession. That you're declaring to God in your own mouth what you're going to do. Because no one can force you. You have to do that. So I want you to repeat these words after me. And I want you to believe with all your heart. And God's going to meet you right where you're at. And the Bible says from this day forward, you will be saved. You will have a position in Christ Jesus where you can feel his love and know him. And it's the beginning of probably the greatest journey of your life. Where forgiveness is happening, love is happening. You are going to be fully accepted here. So pray after me. Everyone in here, use your mouth and pray this prayer with me. Everybody say this, Father God, I come to you and I give you my life. I give you all that I am. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me, to take all my sin, everything that I've done wrong upon himself, that he took the punishment for me. He took my place. And so I give you all of me. I make you the Lord of my life. I believe in you. And from this day forward, I will serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.